Welcome to the 24-7 Prayer Podcast. My name is Hannah Heather. And I'm Brian Heasley. Today we were speaking to Charles Harmon. That's right. And they're based uh, with a community in just, just outside London in the United Kingdom. Beautiful community, prayerful proximity church who are seeing amazing things happen in their local school, but they're a small community mm. who've just given themselves to prayer and the results are extraordinary. It's like just one of those astounding stories where you think, you know, like a, a it feels like they're small in number, but they're really packing a punch. You know yeah. what I mean? They're like, um, yeah, uh, it's a real challenge to all of us, I think. So we hope you enjoy this and thanks for joining us on this journey. It's really lovely today to have uh, Charles Harmon here with us. Uh, Charles, tell us who you are, where are you from, what do you do? We'd love just to hear a little bit about you. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, my name is Charles, Charles Harmon. I am currently residing in a place called Stanford Lee Hope, which is in Essex. Um, and um, myself and my husband, Christy, are leading a church here called Proximity Church. And we have a beautiful 10-month-old uh, called Hope. So that's a bit of us. Wow. Uh, Proximity Church, that's an interesting name for a church. Yes. <laughs> We're infamously not good at names. Um, we did a, a cafe in a school and we called it Toast Cafe because we gave out toast. So it took us a long time to come to Proximity Church. We were um, a boiler room, so that's kind of like our origins. And so we had the name 24-7 Prayer Stanford because it does what it says on the tin. Um, but we just felt like after 15 or so years of, of kind of loving and serving and praying our town, 24-7 prayer Stanford, when you're going into social work meetings and, um, you know, and trying to reach out to the community, can actually be a bit of a barrier. You went with something unambiguous like proximity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it invites the question. People get the word church, so that's good. That was a bit more, um, yeah, kind of relatable. But proximity kind of came out of a story in the school where we um, where we serve. Um, and there was a, a boy that I was mentoring, and um, it was a really, really snowy day. And um, as he was talking, I was looking at the ground and I saw his shoes and I saw that he had holes in his shoes. He's, I could see his toes and then the soles of his shoes had um, holes in and his feet were just absolutely soaked. And we kind of like took that story of you only get to see the need sometimes when you're in proximity and and, and proximity to, to God, proximity to one another as church and proximity to the community. So we, we kind of have this catchphrase of we want to be close enough to see. We want to be close enough to see God, to see one another and to, to see the needs in our town. Wow. So proximity church that. became what it is, yeah. That's so good. And that definitely makes me feel a little bit like out of order for laughing at your name. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, why are you passionate about prayer uh, would be a really good question. And we'll, we'll, we'll go from there, Charles. Yeah, no problem. Um, passionate about prayer because I've come to realise that I need prayer in my life. I'm, I'm so grateful from a young age. I was a teenager when I first heard of 24-7 um, of prayer, read the Red Moon Rising. And um, because by nature, I'm a practitioner. I think by yeah. nature, I'm someone that does. I see a need. I feel compelled by that need. And I want to 
um, reach out to that need. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, something that's core cool to twenty four seven is that we have this God story. And then when I and then when I was eighteen, I was had the privilege of being on a gap year with twenty four seven. And part of that year was to go through the God story of the Bible. And really, that that story for me, I could just see that it was all God's rescue plan. It was all God's rescue plan um, is to to save humanity, to save creation. Um, and that was really compelling for me. But then to be part of a movement of 24-7 prayer is that you realise our prayer is as much active as our mission. And really, I think it saved me from having a Messiah complex. I think we all tend to like dip into that at times, but to realise that actually it's God that does the saving. It's God that's the rescuer. It's God that's got the whole rescue plan at work and um, to, to be embedded in that and to stay connected to God. Um, so I, I think, yeah, So I, and, and then, you know, there's so the, just the, the simplicity of the 24-7 of breathing in God to breathe him mm. out. Yeah, I love that. And and if we don't, if we don't, um, if we're always doing mission and we're never spending that time in prayer, then we just burn out. And you hear those stories. If we want to go the long haul, if we really want to see change and transformation and and see lives turned around, then we have to get the prayer thing right. And um, Christy and I in um, in leading the church, we've so we're, we're like we're seventeen years of proximity church, and we just feel now more than ever in this season, God is saying, "Seek my face, wow. seek my face." Like we we've we we have done lots of stuff in the community. We're very active. We are still very much twenty four seven prayer, and yet there's this call still to to come back to God and to to put that as the priority. So yeah, prayer prayer for me doesn't come naturally. Mission comes naturally for me, but I've come to so appreciate the power and the discipline um and the the priority of of prayer wow. um, as a community, as an individual, as a leader in the in the church. Amazing. Have you ever come close to burnout? I think probably yeah. <laughs> I think I think um I guess lockdown was hard in some ways. Um, we we actually it's interesting we've we've had four years where we haven't had a prayer room as a community and I think Christy and I would say we've suffered there's people that have joined our church that haven't had the experience of having a prayer room just that that you know underguided undergirded sense of prayer in the community we've had prayer weeks we've had 24 ones we do prayer walks every month we have intercession every month but to have a place of prayer um so we we've just like we're gonna go after having a prayer room and i last week we actually opened a permanent place of prayer Amazing. for the first time in four years it's on um so we don't have many beautiful places in stanford brian can testify but there's a place called one tree hill and it's it's hills and there's this church at the top of this hill and we just went to them and we said, oh, we'd really like to, uh, well, join with you. Um, and just we're looking to have a prayer room. They said, oh, it's really interesting because we're looking to change our vestry, which was used to be called the consecration room, into Ooh. a prayer room. Um, so literally last week we've we've just launched that. And I think for me, I'm just like so desperate to get in there. I've really, I've missed that pilgrimage to a prayer room. I've missed the discipline of having a weekly slot. I've missed the discipline of saying I'm here for an hour and and this is my sole purpose is to seek the face of God. I love Um, that. I love that. So, yeah, so that's, um, yeah, so I think, yeah, in terms of just having a place of prayer and and, and not having that as a community, we have definitely suffered. I think what's so 
powerful about your story, Charles, is that honesty that's like, you know, prayer is like, I'm not a prayer guy naturally, mm, <laughs> you know, like yeah, prayer isn't yeah. my my natural mode. And I remember Brian sharing about, um, for, for our listeners who don't know all Brian's story, like him and his wife, Tracy, pioneered this amazing mission out in Ibiza. And, um, and they're so, they were so passionate about this idea of prayer and mission going hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And it's like that idea of like breathing in, in the place of prayer and then breathing out as you go out in the streets. But they literally model it on their mission teams in Ibiza. So when you go out there and you serve and you're like working through through the night to serve the people on the streets, the way you that you do that, that you model that is that you spend an hour in the prayer room and then an hour in the streets. And I remember Brian saying to me once that there's always people that come out who are like, the mission people, you know, and they're just like, go, 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 yeah. like want to be out there in the vomit, like just in the depths of it all. And they find they are in the prayer room, like super frustrating, like don't make me go and sit in there for that whole time. And then vice versa, you get the people who just want to stay in the presence. And and actually, I just loved that. I've not seen that modeled quite so poignantly mm-hmm. that, and it pushes us out of our own like comfort zones because we know like ontologically, we know we have to do, well, have to do, <laughs> we're supposed to do both and operate in both of those modes. But we don't, we don't always find ourselves in situations where we do that. And I feel like that's so, so much a part of your story, Charles, is like, mm-hmm. you know, I want to go and I want to do and I'm an activist. And yet, you know, you have so like, so beautifully articulated the impact of having a place of prayer and a, a discipline of prayer throughout your your ministry. So I love that. I, I would like to know a little bit more about you. So you shared that story of the little boy whose shoes had holes in them. And um, could you just tell us a little bit more about the ways that Stanford has been, like that you guys throughout your 17 years have been meeting the needs of your local community and I, I guess some of the stories that have impacted you as a person, like which kids, you know, like what what stories have really stuck with you and have, have changed you and your relationship with God? What have the kids taught you about prayer? Like, could you speak yeah. into that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so um, when the boiler room, the, the church was first kind of forming, we had lots of um, young people that were going to a specific secondary school and... Um, and the parents of that school um, just decided to get together um, in the mornings for a week and pray for the school. Oh, just wow. really simply felt compelled to do that. Um, and at the end of that, um, the end of that week, one of the mums um, in the church said, "I just want something lasting from this prayer week. Just want mm. something says like this was this was a result of this week. It just really felt like I, I guess a prompting. And that night." Um, one of our uh, one of our leaders, Rob Harmon, um, he went to school. He he would say he doesn't even know which son it was. He's got three sons, <laughs> and he doesn't know what what it was. He went to go see. It was all a blur. Obviously, wasn't that memorable. But what was memorable was the head teacher at the time came up to him and said, "We'd really like you to become a governor in the school. What do you think?" And and Rob said in his spirit, "You know, yesterday I would have said no because it just that doesn't really interest me. But because of this prayer that he heard when he was in that prayer room, he's like, I feel like this is the answer to that. So he said yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we had um, one of our guys then being a governor in the school. Um, and then prayer spaces was something that was kind of like bubbling up at the same sort of time. So um, one of our other leaders, Carla, went to the school and said, we'd really, this same head teacher, we'd really like to run prayer spaces in schools. This is kind of what it's about. And he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
I'm not down with this prayer word. No, you're not doing that. I like the concept. You can recall it. You can call it reflection spaces. So we ran reflection spaces for um, a period of time with students, mm. and then um, the head teacher changed, and Rob in his position as governor, um, and me. Then I'd come on the. I'd come um, trying to do a, a placement for university. So we were looking for a, like an opportunity to serve the school. So we went to this new head teacher, Rob, and then myself. And we just said, look, we're from a local church and we'd really like to bless you and serve you in whatever way, you know, you see fit. And and the head teacher literally took an A4 piece of paper and covered both sides in all the things that we could do. Wow. And we were like, whoa, OK. And um, and so one of the things on that piece of paper was to run a after school club for year nine students. Um, and and I think of all the things on that page, assemblies was there, different sort of thing. That was that that particular drop in was like, I feel like we could we're, we're hospitality people. We could host something. We could give away free food. We could create a nice place. We could do a drop in within the school. But we then went back to the church and we said, look, guys, we've got this opportunity. We don't want to just send one person in to go and do this. like we really feel like this is a a community response. So who's in? So we literally sent out an SOS message like we're going to have an emergency meeting. We have these opportunities. Who's in? Everyone's hand went up. So from that point in time, then we had a a community, a church community that was saying, yeah, we want to serve. So we opened up a cafe. To be honest, we didn't know who was year nine and who was year seven and who was year 11. So from the word go, we had the whole school coming into this drop-in. If I could just, just, just trying to, to, to give context to our listeners. So your origin story is a group of parents getting together and praying for the school. I know lots of parents that have school WhatsApp groups and it's normally about, you know, fundraisers and different things like that. So Mm. it's an amazing thing. And then off of the back of that, you offer to serve the school, to bless the school. And then your community responds by saying we're all in for going to an after school club and engaging with children as they they come into this after school club is that correct that is correct yeah and in the middle of it you've got a head teacher who the minute she's asked the question covers an A4 page both sides because <laughs> i think that's really striking Charles, because mm. i think so often we in the church we feel n- nervous and awkward and like oh, I don't know, there's there's sometimes a feeling of like, oh, we're shut out of schools. Like we can't, mm-hmm. you know, we can't go in into those spaces and let them do their thing and they wouldn't be interested. And so the thought that like there's head teachers out there all over the country potentially mm-hmm. with A4 yeah. pages. I mean, that, I think that yeah. as a parent of a kid in school, I'm like, goodness, that's a question I should be asking her. Praying parents, seeing transformation is an amazing thing. So so tell us then, you've, you've started this after school club what's going on in it what what I mean did you preach at them or what what, what? (laughs) well it's very interesting because then the when we went we got had a tour around by an assistant head just before we set up the cafe and the assistant head was like so here you could like serve the food it was in the canteen and here then you could have your prayer space and we hadn't said that we wanted a prayer space in the cafe so I have no idea it's God it's God like it's like Mm. from the word go we're going to have prayer and mission literally um evidenced in this in this cafe so every week for um for since since we've done our schools work we've set up a, a, a place of prayer um for for children and young people to engage in prayer and mission 
And within within about six months of running this cafe, um, we had conversations with young people. And you, if you give them the space, they will share. And so obviously we had to have our safeguarding, you know, and to be trained up in that. And we had people that were skilled in kind of having one-to-one conversations. Um, but also we had multi multi-ages. We had six-year-olds in the cafe and then we had students that were part of our church who were serving as part of the cafe. You know, this whole range of ages. It was a church. Uh, it was literally our church in the school, after school, serving. Wow. And what were the uh, ages of the, the children you were working with, roughly? Give me a kind of... Yeah, we had like... So they would be 11 to 16. Amazing. Um, so high yeah. school. Yeah, high school. Yeah, secondary school. Um, yeah, students. And... Um, one of the one of the questions that you were going to ask is like, what's the verse that sustained you? And I and I I love this bit in Genesis sixteen thirteen I mean, from Haggai. It says, "I've seen the one who sees me." Mm. And Haggai is, you know, she's just been excommunicated from the family. She's she's completely rejected, dejected. She's at the end of who who she is, and God comes and sits beside her, and 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 sees her. Hagar. Hagar, sorry, yeah, that. That so God's saying, and, and and her response is, I've seen the one who's seen me. And I think in the cafe, we got to see students. We had the space and the time to sit with them and to to let them be seen and to let them be heard. Yeah. And in that, disciple them in prayer and disciple them in the ways of God and love. Um, and and shortly after the kind of so those six months of having those conversations, we were like, we could do more than this if the school would like that. So we we present. I, I was um, I went and I put glasses on. I don't wear glasses, but I thought, oh, this is the first like a formal meeting. Oh, I didn't wear glasses. At the time. So I feel like, like I need to dress glasses. up. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I love that. I love the fact that someone wears fake glasses because I now have to wear glasses for real. And like, I get that because I don't have to wear glasses, look, and sometimes I, pretty, I wish I did. I look pretty good in my glasses. I think, but. And we uh, we went, we said, look, we would we can see that there's a need here. We would like to become your school chaplains. Um, and be a permanent presence in the school and wow. um, come and give a day or two days a week and we can respond to needs but then it's like this umbrella of spiritual um and you know social and pastoral care within yeah. your within wow. your school and they this head teacher had stopped me in my track I was like had I had my presentation had a powerpoint and, and the glasses. head glasses and my glasses I had it all going and someone was praying outside in the reception you know <laughs> And they stopped me and they said, like, can we just stop you there? And I thought, oh, no, it's, we've gone too far. And, and she just said, right, okay, everyone around the room, who, who's up for this? Yes, 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 yes. You're in, Charles. You don't need to do any more. Wow. So the glasses were an unnecessary extra. <laughs> <laughs> but, and listen, Charles, it's a, it's a phenomenal story that, that they then just, you're in. But yeah. when you were, those first six months, you said we, we listened and we said we see you. Mm. What did you hear? We heard stories of um, sons that um, had been rejected by their dads. We had an amazing story. Literally, a young boy um, was given a Gideon Bible in assembly, and he came to our cafe and he said, I'm going to read this. I'm, my name's Matthew, and I'm going to read Matthew. Um, and he um, came to the, the prayer room, the press space and we we you know engaged in that but he's like I am an atheist though so just so you know it's, it's like, okay that's great so he he had lots of questions from reading Matthew and we so that was a really great conversation he said I'm going to pray a prayer and only God can answer this prayer 
But he's an atheist, yeah? And he's an atheist, yeah. (laughs) Cool. I'm going to pray that my relationship with my dad is restored. (laughs) And you're like, oh, flip. Nah. Uh, Yeah, okay, amen. God, you can do that. And he, uh, he wrote a story after this. He came to the cafe a couple of weeks later of how his dad came to his door and said sorry. And he said, I was an atheist, but I'm a Christian now. No. Oh, my goodness. Amazing. Wow. You know, you've got a 10-month-old baby, little hope. Yes. And, um, you know, that first year of a kid's life is like, I mean, and I think anyone who's, who's had a kid would Child. say... You know, it's what <laughs> I remember when I used to go to church and I used to talk. I remember preaching once and saying, Kids, and this lady came up to me afterwards and went, Kids are baby goats. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and I was like, All right, settle down. All I didn't right. say settle down, and I'm not telling you off for saying kids because I use it all the time. It just went through my head, and I thought, This is how we flow raw, honest, raw, honest baby goats. Um, but yeah, I mean, that first year of, of, a child's life and a mother's life and a father's life like it's 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 a big one and it's very formational oh, yeah. and it's a, a huge life change so mm. I don't know if you're up for it but it, I, I think it's it would be cool for anyone who's listening to this podcast who maybe is also in that season of life very small children trying to adjust to the new challenges of parenthood and then also how on earth you juggle that with a life in ministry. Yeah. Um, so basically, Charles, I'm just asking if you would speak to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, just could you share with us, like, what's it been like? What's been your journey with hope? <laughs> that sounds like a real question, question, but I mean, literally with your actual <laughs> My child. child hope. Yeah. <laughs> and what has what has that journey been like? What's it been like becoming parents? How has it shaped you? Like, what's it doing in terms of your ministry? Could you share a bit about that? I actually think... Becoming a mom has really um, shifted my identity, um, and to to be like, you know, you 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 wear all these hats in ministry, yeah. and 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 wear responsibility, and that's a vulnerable place to be. Um, but I but but being a mom, I think I just feel so fulfilled in being a mom, and and learning about learning from God in how to mother my child um and and I think I think I just feel a real I feel um a release in my identity Mm. in in becoming a mom and I I can't really maybe word that but but it just feels I feel um more full by having by having hope um and it has been really challenging I guess even just a personal devotion and personal kind of walk with God as you're up 24 hours a day um and um yeah trying to reach out to people and juggling in and around being motherhood um I think it's just taking the moments when they come so I've been on lots and lots of walks and listened to podcasts and just found those moments um it was really great in um in Hope's early months that the whole Asbury stuff was going on so you know, in, in maternity leave, I was kind of like listening to John Tyson's experiences of that, and you know, there was lots of podcasts going on and following that, and and just I guess just letting that simmer and 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 seeing what God was speaking to us about. Christy and I in June um, went to Waverley Abbey, um, and just we we actually have to just carve out time. So like, you know, with Jill Weber, and we we stayed there for two nights. And we we just was like, we need to hear God in this mm-hmm. season. We need to hear God. If we're going to leave this church, um, to have that sort of space in the day-to-day is just not going to happen. So we, we just we said, we're, okay, we'll go for that weekend. And we were really blessed. 
because God really spoke clearly in that time Amazing. and God was really kind. And we came back and we were like, well, this is what we feel like God is saying to us. Um, and I think as the change of being husband and wife to mum and dad as well was is a shift. Um, and working together as a team in parenthood and then in, in leadership. And what was amazing was God was so, so kind because what he said to me, he said to Christy, and sometimes that doesn't always happen in relationships yeah that's that's always a challenge if god says two different things to the same couple it's like when those weird creepers come up to you and they say god's telling me that we're going to get married and you think god is definitely not telling me someone, that. someone said that to me about two weeks ago no not no not really not really i'm, all, I'm... it's confession oh dear but um yeah so I think I think just is and and I think just like I guess in, in terms of identity think you're just not going to get everything right you're not going to be able to do that the, the capacity is different yeah so and and just re, there's a release in that there's a release in that and I feel released more than anything wow. else I think I, I in in uh as I've got older I kind of talk often about like it would be really good to spend an hour with Jesus every morning sit in your chair have a coffee read your journal pray which i can do at my age yeah but i guess it's learning the seasons of of and not feeling guilty in a specific season that actually all you can do is push the pram around listen to a podcast or you know yeah. but i love your intentionality Charles. that you have intentionally said we're going to go away for two days and hear god together and i think it it, it strikes me that if you're going to do it at the stage you're in you do need the to be intentional yeah absolutely and I do think you know it it is it's spirituality looks different in a stage of life where you can't sit in your chair with your coffee for an hour but I do think there's a, a way in which like kids they um they require everything of you all the time. Yeah. And, you know, I think as Christians, we have this language of like, lay it all down for Jesus. And, you know, my life is not my own and I surrender all. There's all this kind of language. And I think um, the reality is I don't know that we always are living onto someone else. <laughs> do you know, mm-hmm. do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. But we do yeah. have that paradigm and we know that that's hard. Like that's what actually leads us to flourishing and to fulfill, like the, the most fulfilled human life is the one that is totally given away. And so I think like in, this, in the early years where, you know, the kids are like demanding everything all the time, there is actually a, a, a proximity <laughs> to Christ in the way that you're giving yourself to your kids all the time. So it's not like that are, but it's kind of always, you know, like, Charles, you were up two till four last night, you know, with hope. And mm. and actually that's like, that's time with Jesus as well. So, you know, there's, 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 yeah, I don't know. There's beauty in it, isn't there? There's beauty, beauty in that. Beauty in yeah. both seasons. Yeah, they, they disciple us children. Definitely. Oh, my goodness. They teach us about who we are and how we live. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Amazing. So, Charles, uh, tell us, how do you how do you keep going? How do you persevere? You're saying 17 years. You've, you know, you started off as a small group of Christians meeting together. You were actually a home group out of a local church that kind of grew to become a you know, a community that's now called Proximity Church with that beautiful story you told us at the beginning. How do you not get disheartened? How do we keep going? You know, there'll be people out here, uh, we, we listen to the guys who lead really big churches and we we love them. They tell great stories. But you're a, you know, you're in a a place just outside of East London in England. You are, it's a pretty 
you know, it's not very pretty kind of as a place. It's <laughs> it's a challenging area to live in. I can say that because I, I, I went to school in Essex where you guys are. But yeah. how do you in that just not, not give up? Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I, I kind of for, for I think the the story of proximity is a community that prays, mm. and 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 I think when you're a community that prays, you can have this seasonality, like individual, in like as individuals, because when when I'm at, you know peak busyness, someone else in the community will have a different kind of is in a different season of life, and and we have this kind of like multi generational um, church that prays. Um, but but people keep us going. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I think that we've really set a culture of a church, a praying church, and really and held out held on to that even without having a prayer room. And like so, every month in our calendar we have a prayer rhythm. Yeah. Um, so as I say, we we pray walk the streets with other churches that we're leading. We have intercession nights. We have either twenty four ones or we have weeks of prayer. Um, so there's these like there's these there's these kind of like communal calls to prayer that keep us grounded. Amazing. And um, one of the things that we do every year, and we've done for the past ten years, is we have five weeks. We call it five by five. So we're in this season now, where for five nights of the week we gather together to read a book of the Bible and to pray for an hour for five nights. So Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and um, for five nights. Um, and so we have people that meet in person in a home and we have a Zoom group for that. And, and we've done that for 10 years. Wow. And every time you start five by five, you think, oh, you know, this like, I know what this means. Yeah. I know what this means. But but there's something about kind of like raising the bar for 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 a seat for like a short, intense season. I'm going to choose prayer over Netflix I'm going to choose prayer over whatever you, you know, scroll in on Instagram. I'm going to choose to to sit with my community and pray. And I cannot tell you actually how many stories of breakthrough we've had over these 10 years of this kind of like season, these intense rhythms that we have in the year. So even this, even this week, we've had two of our core kind of like core members who unfortunately um in uh, have have cancer have come back with um, results saying that all their levels have reduced oh my goodness mm. i mean they have had interventions medical interventions sure. but that's something that we've held for four weeks of the five because we've got one week left hannah's got one final question for you in a minute but i just a couple of little things i want to just clear up here how how big is your church how many people i would say on a good day we're 70 people okay including kids love that when you go to, would you say, when you're working in the schools that you're now working in, how many young people are you impacting on a weekly basis? Be about 150 to 200. Amazing. I just think it's really important to notice that we don't need to be huge. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You, you're not anti-growth, I know that, because no, I know no, you no. guys. Yeah. But it is that God can use any size of community to impact the community around them. And it's such a, it's such a compelling and honoring story we it's so good to hear sean and thank you for sharing but hannah's got a little question for you <laughs> a little one um Michelle, what what would a spiritual awakening look like in your context well i think it has to start with the young people um so i've got, I've got here just young people leading the way i want to be led um by 
by the by young people that are assured in their identity mm. in God um, and not rocked um, but have this confidence um, so I think revival would look like awakening would look like young people being free having that that the fullness of life just breathed into them that they would walk with a sense of confidence a, a sense of knowing who they are a sense of purpose mm-hmm. um alive fully alive and in relationship with one another and and so I, I, I think it, it a renewal for me would start with the young it would start with youngsters saying, I want to worship God. I want to go to the prayer. I'm going to choose this over that. I'm going to choose um, to love and to serve uh, my neighbour over um, over the other things that kind of like draw us away. Um, I've, I think awakening looks like barbecues and, um, you know, like open gates and coming in and neighbours joining together. I think awakening looks like, um, oh, that that park looks like it needs some love and attention let's like all go there we'll spend the day there we'll eat together we'll clear it up we'll make it a beautiful space I think awakening looks like knowing each other's names and knowing each other's stories and um, that there would be no needy person among us Mm, in this town I think awakening looks like safe places it looks like light it looks like peace Um, it looks like clean you know clean streets and clean clean parks um and I think from it's just an abundance of joy to yeah. hear to hear laughter um and to hear just people like playing games and playing football and like I say eating around the table so I, I think it, it looks like an all-age feast that's what I'd love to see is to you know when you have your like in, in England we would have special things for coronation where you have street parties and yeah. things like that um, and you know everyone comes out and brings their food and you sit down in the street and so I think it just looks like depth of relationship and and individually people knowing who they are and and living with purpose. Wow that's such a compelling and beautiful picture of awakening. Mm, yeah sign me up for that I love that. Great okay one last one well on the actual last one. Um, <laughs> Charles could you tell us as you think back over your life and your journey with Jesus what is one experience of prayer that you will never forget? Yeah, um, I think I'm going to go back to being an 18 year old. Um, so yeah, 2008, 2009, I, I was on the the transit course, which was a 24 seven year out. And part of that, if you say about my journey of prayer, part of that, which I really struggled with, was uh, Monday to Friday, every day we had to pray from nine till 10 together as a community. <laughs> As a sorry, as a group, um, and I thought, why? Like, what are you going to have to end to pray on day two, let alone day, you know, <laughs> fifty of doing that? Um, and then we had to leave every time. Anyway, so we had this discipline of of praying every day, and that was so good, such a good discipline to have. Part of those um, those prayer times, and then kind of personal prayer times in that prayer room, is I'd heard this quote by C.T. Studd, um, which is. Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Which as an 18-year-old, you're like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> I'm going to do that. That's the, I'm sold out for that. So literally every day of my year out, I prayed that prayer. Every day. I was just like, I want and And then, you know, like I've shared the story about, you know, that God's rescue plan and the God story. And I think even, Brian, when I went out into 24th, when I went to Ibiza, you actually prayed over me 
that shall I just see you as a rescuer had like a pen had like fallen off the side of a sofa and I'd caught it and you then were like yeah and you gave me this word and it was you know God was just really speaking about rescue Mm. so I and I had no idea what that meant at the end of transit I am I was invited to go to Reading because 24-7 were doing some stuff in Reading with Andy Freeman so I, I was looking to move there and be a part of a community house and I started to apply for jobs and I one of the jobs I applied for was to run a community cafe in a council estate in on the edge of Reading um and I got an interview and again, I didn't know what to wear for this interview, so I went really smart. Did you wear your fake glasses? <laughs> yeah, they might have been in the bag, packed. But I did have a presentation, and um, and I'd said, you know, and, and I'm on the presentation. It was like this: this is a rescue shop. I was in the middle, and then I just had all these ideas of what they would look like. And I was 18 when I went for this interview, and I came back, got the train back to Birmingham, where I was then living um, with my parents. And I don't know. I was like, okay, there you go. I gave it, gave it a go. I got a call the next day to say, okay, we'd like to show you around the cafe. So back on the train to Reading, I went, and um, they lifted up the shutters, and we went in, and I just heard the whisper of God say, "Here's your rescue shop." Amazing, amazing, Charlotte's. It's been such a joy to to hear you, to hear your own journey, your journey of rescue and helping others. I love that idea that your origins are born as a praying community, that you're not a large community, but as you pray, you impact the community around you. So I think it's going to be a challenge to anyone who wants to see, especially if you're thinking in your town or your village, we have a local school. And actually praying for that school just seems like a, a... almost a no-brainer at this point yeah. listening to you guys. So thank you so much for everything you've shared and we it's been such a pleasure to, to listen to you. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the 24-7 Prayer Podcast. If you'd like to find out more, please do visit 247prayer.com. 